Section 31 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Sherman, Jr. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee, Book 8, Spheres of Action, Chapter 1, Jews, Part 3. Although ignorant of the nuncio's instructions, Joao persisted in refusing him admittance, until he should have an answer to his letter of September 18th. This was long in coming, and Libermano vainly complained of the disrespect to the Holy See shown in making him wander from one tavern to another. For a while he remained in Salamanca, and then, on false news that he would be received, he went to Barajos, only to find the frontier closed to him, and there he was forced to stay, for some months, hopeless and querulous. Meanwhile, Francis Botelu, who had been sent with Zhao's letter, was conferring with the Pope, who blandly assured him that Lipomano's mission was only to notify the king of the approaching convocation of the Council of Trent. At length it was arranged that he should confine himself to this, and to such other matters as the king should permit. A brief to this effect, satisfactory to the Portuguese agents, was framed and dispatched from Rome November 3rd. It can scarce have reached Portugal before the early months of 1543, for a letter of Zhao of March 2nd mentions its arrival and his satisfaction at the settlement, in which he hopes that the Pope's acts may correspond with his words. Lipomano, thus shorn of his powers and with no financial prospect before him, was anxious for his recall, but he was not permitted to return until the close of 1544. He obeyed the final instructions and abstained from aiding the new Christians. Possibly Paul's yielding in this may be explained by a negotiation on foot early in 1543. Through the Cardinal of Burgos, it was proposed to João that the Pope would concede to Portugal an inquisition identical with that of Castile, if, for a term of years, one half of the confiscations should belong to the Holy See. This cold-blooded offer to sell out the new Christians shows how purely mercantile had been the fluctuating protection accorded to them hitherto, and it was met by João in the same spirit. Protesting that he had never sought for gain in his efforts to serve God, he instructed his envoy that he might agree to three years, but must endeavor to reduce the papal share to a quarter. The attempted bargain came to naught, but Rome was apprehensive that Portugal might follow the example of England, and Zhao was propitiated with a renewed offer of a cardinal's hat for the infant Henrique. To this he at first replied surlily, that when he had asked for it, it had been given to Silva, and now that he had not asked, it did not seem fitting to accept it. Subsequently, however, he assented, and, in December 1545, Henrique received the honor. Moreover, in October 1543, a signal favor was granted to the Inquisition, by a perpetual brief empowering the officials to enjoy the fruits of benefices in absentia although, as we have seen, in Spain the grant was only quinquennial. It is true that this was not wholly gratuitous, for it cost 250 cruzados in addition to the regular fees of 70. The Inquisition was assisted in another way. Through the subsidized Cardinal of Paris, the Portuguese ambassador, Baltazar de Feria, was enabled to inspect all paper letters granted to new Christians. In a letter of February 18, 1544, he describes the use made of this information, for he opposed each one, and it was fought over bitterly, the unfortunate pope being assailed on both sides and driven to change his decisions repeatedly, as the rival influences prevailed. 
Information, moreover, was sent in advance to Henrique, so as to enable him to forestall the papal graces or render them ineffective. Henrique was instructed to disregard as surreptitious everything that Faria had not seen, to appeal to the Pope and to report to Faria, for this was the way that the Castilian inquisitors managed. It was a kind of guerrilla warfare in the interval of the greater struggles. One of these conflicts was close at hand. Paul III resolved to send another nuncio, charged with the duty of wrenching from the king Cardinal Silva's temporalities and of moderating the severity of the Inquisition. For this he selected Giovanni Ricci de Montepulciano, who at the same time was advanced to the archbishopric of Siponto. Faria flattered himself that he had succeeded in postponing the nuncio's departure till the king should be heard from, but in spite of this Ricci started July 17, 1544. He traveled leisurely, and did not reach Valladolid until November 5th, where he found awaiting him Cristoval de Castro, with letters from the king forbidding his admittance. He succeeded in making de Castro believe that he had no instructions concerning Silva or the Inquisition that would offend the king, who accordingly wrote November 28th, cautiously admitting him under these presumptions. It so chanced, however, that, before the courier started with this letter, Lipomano, who was still acting as nuncio, received and affixed at the church doors a papal brief of September 22nd, inhibiting all inquisitors and ecclesiastical judges from executing any sentences pronounced on new Christians, or from proceeding to sentence in any cases, until Ricci should arrive, investigate, and report as to the conduct of the Inquisition, after which the papal pleasure should be made known. This settled the question. Copies of the brief were sent to de Castro to justify to the Spanish court the absolute refusal to admit Ricci until Joao should have an answer to letters demanding explanation and reparation dispatched by a special courier. At the same time the brief was obeyed, for there were no more autos after June 1544 until 1548. Considering all that had occurred during the past ten years, there was an inexcusable aggravation about all this, which it is difficult to understand in the absence of information as to the secret working of the new Christians in Rome, unless it was to convince Zhao that he would have to pay roundly for the pleasure of persecuting his subjects. He exhaled his wrath in one or two letters to Balthazar de Faria, and, on January 13, 1545, he dispatched Simao de Veiga in hot haste with instructions to demand the installation of the Inquisition in satisfaction of the royal grievances. The recent brief must be revoked, and Ricci must come under the limitations imposed on his predecessor and must say nothing about Cardinal Silva. A prolix letter to the Pope to rewriting consistory was free-spoken but not intemperate, and, considering the provocation, was much more moderate than the papal duplicity had deserved. This letter remained unanswered for nearly six months, during which another experiment was tried on Zhao's credulity. Cardinal Sforza, one of the papal grandsons, wrote in the name of the Pope that, if the nuncio was admitted, all that he asked for the Inquisition would be conceded, and Cardinal Crescenzio confirmed this verbally. As late as June 22, 1545, he was writing in this sense, not knowing that on June 16th the Pope had responded to his letter in a brief in which, with exasperating affectation of benignity, he pardoned Joao's asperity. Against Joao's assertions of the wickedness of the new Christians and the mildness of the Inquisition, he set the constant complaints reaching him of its cruelty and injustice, and the numerous burnings of the innocent. 
As it was under his jurisdiction, he was responsible and he could not forego the duty of investigating the truth of these conflicting statements. There was also the spoliation of Cardinal Silva, which must be redressed. The brief closed with the significant threat that, if these matters were not remedied, he could not expose himself before Almighty God to the charge of negligence in an affair of such moment. The devious ways of the papal court are hard to follow. Four days before the date of this brief, on June 12th, Cardinal Sforza sent to Joao the written assurance that was demanded, promising that if he would admit the nuncio, the Pope would grant all that he desired as to the Inquisition. On receiving this in August, the king at once replied that, in reliance on the cardinal's assurances, he would permit Ricci to enter Portugal, and he asked to have the necessary bull made out and sent by Simão de Viega. At the same time, he gave Ricci permission to come, cautiously adding that it must be under the limitations imposed on Limpamano. Ricci, detained by sickness, did not arrive until September 9th, and then he was the bearer of the minatory brief of June 16th. That Zhao was thunderstruck may well be believed, and he wrote to his envoys that he knew not what to say. The Pope had sought a compromise, offering to revoke the brief of September 22, 1544, and that, after the nuncio had reported, he would leave everything in the king's hands, but he refused to carry out the promises of Cardinal Sforza. No answer was given to this, but the brief of revocation was made out and reached Ricci, January 18, 1546, accompanied with one empowering him to act in case he discovered abuses in the Inquisition, but the only investigation that Zhao would permit was that he should examine the papers in four or five cases and interrogate the Inquisitor concerning them. The first case submitted was that of a septuagenarian, burnt some years before. He was one of those who had been converted by force, he had at once confessed more than had been testified against him, and had begged for mercy. Ricci asked the inquisitor, Joao de Mayo, why he had burnt him, as this was not a case of relapse, to which Mayo replied that his repentance was simulated because he had varied in the three examinations, but on investigating the record the variations were found to be trifling. Ricci asked for a copy of the process to send to Rome, and it was promised but not given. His report was naturally adverse to the Inquisition, and the Pope, assuming that the brief of 1536 had established it for ten years only, notified Joao that the term had expired. In deference to him it was prolonged for a year, but he was told that, within that time, the question as to the new Christians must be definitely settled. It was suggested that a general pardon could be granted, or that he could banish them all from his kingdom. We may fairly assume that, in such a crisis as this, the gold of the new Christians had not been spared in Lisbon or on Rome. Joao evidently felt that the turning point had come, and that some supreme effort must be made to outbid his subjects. He had not been niggardly on his side in responding to the urgent calls of his ambassadors for liberality towards the cardinals. Cardinal Farnese, the favorite grandson of Paul III, and the most influential member of the Sacred College, had a pension from him of 3,200 cruzados, assigned in 1544 equally on the seas of Braga and Coimbra to assure its continuance. At a critical moment in 1545, the arrearages and two years in advance were paid to him, in a lump sum of 13,000 cruzados. So little reserve was there in these matters that, after the death of Cardinal Santiquatro, the protector of Portugal, Joao actually suggested the employment of Paul III as his successor, pointing out the large propinas that would inure to him from certain provisions as to bishops which the king was soliciting. 
For these and for the payment to Farnese, he forwarded bills of exchange for 33,000 cruzados. Julius III was as mercenary as his predecessor. In 1551, Zhao, in response to a hint that a present was desirable, sent him a magnificent diamond, valued by the Roman jewelers at a 100,000 cruzados. Julius was greatly pleased and declared that he would make it an heirloom in his family. But when the next year he intimated that another gift would be acceptable, Joao, who was dissatisfied with him at the time, refused to respond, saying that when the Pope acceded to his demands to make Henrique perpetual legate, it would be time to think of giving him something. This brought Julius to terms. In 1553, the appointment was made, and in 1554, Joao sent him a brooch. In such matters, it was difficult for subjects to compete with their monarch. Under the pressure so skillfully applied by Rome, a brilliant idea occurred to Joao and, in a letter of February 20, 1546, to Baltazar de Faria, he suggested that, in return for a free inquisition, he would grant to Cardinal Farnese the administration and revenues of the See of Viseu, which he had been withholding from Cardinal Silva, thus at once obtaining the object of his desires and gratifying his rancor against that unfortunate prelate by depriving him of papal support. This dazzling bribe overcame Paul's scruples as to his responsibility to the Almighty and his friendship for Silva. The Holy See has been stained with many examples of nepotism and rapacity, but its history has furnished few transactions of more shameless effrontery in sacrificing those whom it was pledged to protect. Still, Paul strove to maintain some semblance of decency in abandoning the new Christians, and he advanced a demand that there should be a general pardon for past offenses and the granting of a term during which those desiring to emigrate could leave Portugal. Zhao was determined to get all that he could, and a series of intricate negotiations took place, occupying the whole of 1546 and 1547, in which each side endeavored to outwit the other with little regard to consistency. Matters were complicated by the question of the accrued revenues of Vizu, which Zhao was loath to refund, and which Paul demanded, for the convenient receptacle of the fabric of St. Peter's. Ignacia Loyola took a hand in the fray, and so did two members of the Council of Trent. Frade Jorge de Santiago, an inquisitor, and the Carmelite Baltazar Limpo, bishop of Porto, an honest and free-spoken fanatic, who was much scandalized by ascertaining that a brief of safe conduct had been secretly issued, inviting the Portuguese new Christians to Italy, with assurance of not being disturbed on account of their religion. Thus, as the bishop said, those who had been baptized at birth came and were immediately circumcised and filled the synagogues under the very eyes of the Pope, the inference being that he desired free emigration from Portugal, in order that Italy might benefit by the intelligence and industry of the apostates, an argument which was freely used and was not easy to answer. In the spring of 1547, as matters seemed to approach a settlement, the necessary briefs were successively drafted. One of May 11th granted a general pardon for past offenses. All prisoners were to be released, all confiscations returned, all disabilities removed, and reincidence was not to incur the penalty of relapse. One of July 1st, addressed to Cardinal Henrique, announced to him that the Pope had granted the Inquisition, with full powers of procedure. One of July 5th, to Joao, informed him that the bearer, Cavalier Giovanni Ugolino, a nephew of the late Cardinal Santiquatro, carried the bull for the Inquisition and exhorted him to see that the Inquisitors exercised their powers with moderation. Ugolino was also empowered to take possession for Farnese of the See of Viseu and the other benefices of Silva, and to collect the arrears of revenue for the fabric of St. Peter's. 
There were two briefs of July 15th, one appointing Farnese administrator for life of the see and the benefices, the other withdrew and annulled all the letters of exemption from the Inquisition which the new Christians had been for so many years purchasing at heavy cost. Finally, under date of July 16th, came the long-sought-for bull, Meditatio Cordi, instituting for Portugal a free and untrammeled Inquisition. It declared that the Pope, desiring the rigorous punishment of the atrocious crime of heresy, revoked all previous limitations on its powers, and conferred on it all faculties at any time granted to inquisitors. To render effective the withdrawal of the letters of exemption, it evoked to the Pope all cases pending before other judges than Cardinal Henrique, and committed them to him and his deputies with full powers. That Paul did not, without some qualms of conscience, thus abandon the new Christians who had contributed so liberally to the Curia, is suggested by a subsequent brief of November 15th, in which he told the king that, as he granted to Portugal a free inquisition, he earnestly exhorted him to see that the inquisitors acted with charity and not with judicial severity. In consideration of the weakness of the neophytes, for this would be most gratifying to him. The Pope's anxiety to save appearances is visible in the instructions to Ugolino. Those from Paul bore that his wishes were that, under the pardon brief, all prisoners were to be discharged, that for a year no one was to be relaxed, no arrests were to be made save for public and scandalous offenses, and prosecutions were to be conducted as in other crimes, while if the law prohibiting emigration could not be repealed, it should be kept quiet for a year thus hiding for a twelve month his betrayal of the friendless. The instructions from Farnese were more openly cynical. To disarm Schrau's distrust, he had agreed not to take possession of Silva's temporalities until the affair of the Inquisition should be settled, while Ambassador Faria and the Bishop of Porto had pledged that Joao should raise no difficulties. It was on that condition that the Pope had granted the Inquisition, in the confidence that both should be settled together. Joao was to be persuaded to accede to the general pardon and graces asked for, in lieu of the permission to emigrate, for that would enable the Pope to answer the appeals and complaints of the new Christians, by telling them that these were sufficient. The Pope was anxious that, for a year, the Inquisition should not employ rigor and that procedure should be that of secular law. This was of slender importance, but it would seem to them a great matter. They were also to be told that, as in previous cases, the Pope could have had from them 20,000 cruzados for the pardon, while he had granted it without getting a single farthing. It was further significant that both Ugolino and the Nuncio Ricci were warned to be specially careful to exact nothing from the new Christians. How Joao regarded these pleadings for the victims is seen in a letter to Faria after the settlement. He had accepted, he said, the conditions as to the Inquisition, knowing that further protests would only bring worse terms, but he intended that the Inquisition should proceed in the form conceded by the bull. Those pardoned under the pardon brief, if they committed heresy during the year, could be arrested and prosecuted at once, but should not be sentenced or relaxed until after the expiration of the year. For a year the inquisitor should be directed to proceed mildly, but as for treating heresy like other crimes, it would be unreasonable because the Pope ordered otherwise in the bull itself. As for the prohibition of emigration, it was not for the service of God to repeal the law as the Pope desired. The pardon should be published and the prisoners released. Those who had to abjure should not do so on a staging but publicly at the church doors. Thus brutally was brushed aside the mask under which Paul had sought to disguise his abandonment of the new Christians. 
End of section 31. Recording by Robert Sherman, Jr., Washington, D.C., www.nyckidd.com.